This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, also artistic administrator and principal second violin, Merwin Sue, and we have the Toledo Symphony's marketing director, Felicia Canny, with us today, and our special guest is soprano Jennifer Cresswell, who has sung with both the symphony and the Toledo Opera. Today's episode is called The Voice, and we are going to explore the whole phenomenon of singing, where it's been, where it's going, and most of all, what makes it great. Now, that's an entirely subjective question, I know. So we should have plenty to talk about. But first up, I want to mention that our topic today is inspired by the TSO's upcoming concert with star of stage and screen Audra McDonald. She's singing a program of show tunes and songs from her latest solo album with the symphony. That's one night only Saturday, November 4th. That's this weekend at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Peristyle. Tickets are available at ToledoSymphony.com. Or you can call up the box office at 419-246-8000. Now, uh, in preparation for today, I asked all of you to provide two things. Number one, an example of uh, your favorite singers. And also three words that you would use to describe what you want to hear in a singing voice. First, we're going to go with the three words. I'll start with you, Jenny. Your words were abandon, tenderness, and accuracy. How do those three fit together? Well, basically, I want to hear everything from a great singer. I do want the accuracy first, and of course, an individual voice that you immediately can tell who's singing. But after the accuracy and the the technique is established, what I really want to hear in a performance is that abandon and tenderness. And the tenderness, I guess, depending on the piece, could also be exchanged with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's that opening up of an artist that separates singers from... Um, if I may, other musicians, the fact that we have text and words added to it, those words have to mean something. And that's what I'm looking for when I hear a voice singing. Anybody else want to comment on any of that? Vulnerability is an excellent choice of words. Yeah, I've used that word myself. Um, (laughs) I also was thinking of many singers or instrumentalists of the past who abandoned accuracy. So I thought that was an interesting combination. (laughs) Well, accuracy, you know, that's a big one. Um, let's go with you, Felicia. You said warmth, strength, and versatility in parentheses. You said it's effortless. Yes. Right? So how do those <laughs> tie together? Well, uh, I, I mean, like Jenny, I do appreciate voices that are very versatile and can, uh, you know, sing the softest, delicate whispers and then um, show great strength and, you know, belt out loud mm-hmm. notes. So you um, like the contrast. I, I love the contrast. You're not you're not for subtlety. You want all or nothing. Yes, and <laughs> an immediate switch. I mean, uh, singers that can can switch from those two types of voices yeah. effortlessly. It's very impressive because well, they that's totally technique. can't do that. <laughs> that's that's a technical type thing. Yeah. You know, there's this this famous thing in Italian singing called messa di voce. Mm-hmm. Where the they spin out a sound, you know, from the the tiniest tiniest pianissimo to the big forte and yeah. back again, you know, it displays that kind of acrobatic, you know, facility with the voice. Yeah. Which, as you said, it's effortless. Which can look so easy for somebody who really knows how to do it, but mm-hmm. it takes it can take years. It can take a lifetime to get to that point. So a good point yeah. that you make with that. Let's hear from Zach. And, you know, you have the the dual position of being an administrator, but you are also like a huge super fan 
of all these wonderful musicians. I've been called a music nerd. <laughs> music nerd. <laughs> I've been also called a music hyper geek. I'm not hyper-geek. sure if that's different from a nerd, but uh, well, I don't. It's sort it's of an, an elevated, yeah. Yeah. elevated, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. energy level. You've kind I'd of also, switched it up there. I'd also like to know if we can add your pianissimo as part of our soundboard. Maybe, right. maybe the that'll be P. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Well, Zach had three words, which he also defined in in his parentheses afterwards. So we have texture, which you say is a sort of resonant cream. Now you're going to have to explain that or ringing cream. Okay. Second one is wind, the sense of palpably being able to feel the rush of the note across the chords. And number three is story. Acting through notes, telling a narrative with the voice. Well, let's go back and talk about resonant cream. Can you can you explain <laughs> I, that for us, please? I think I saw them opening for <laughs> resonant cream. No, it's a product you can get at uh, Rite Aid. <laughs> right. Um, so just think about a tenor aria. If you think about, um, you know, a great tenor might have a very resonant voice, but if there's only resonance, if they're only making a very wide sound, that's not going to be very tender later. So if I think about the tenors that I like, um, there's a sense of humanity and, um, and creaminess to, to their voice. And, and that might be, um, that might actually be at at the expense of some of that purity. Uh, but it's, I think the, the characteristic that for both men and women, um, singers are my, my, my go-to characteristics. It's one of the reasons I love Renee Fleming's voice so much is that she has great creaminess to her voice. What you're talking about reminds me a little bit of the concept of chiaroscuro, the mm-hmm. light and yeah, the dark, and, dark. and mixing together. You that, know that that came to mind when Felicia was yeah. talking about the excellent quiet to the great large sounds. Yeah, the balance of the force, mm-hmm. right? It's light true. and dark. They they were talking about this long before Star Wars. I have to say. <laughs> so wind, the sense of being able to feel the rush of the note across the course. Yeah, it's it's um it maybe I've listened to too many recordings, but there's a sense of a wonderful voice has this this quality of um, of the rush. And as a very amateur singer, I always loved the sense of being stuck in a note and just feeling like you were concentrating on it coming out of your body, yeah. out of your mouth, and you could you could almost sense that it was it was it was starting in a very different place. And by the time it came out, it had done many things. Yeah. How, what does it feel like, Jenny? I mean, do you get a rush out of singing? Uh, I do get a rush out of singing. I. As a singer, I'm one of those people who will work technique and work muscle memory by myself. And then when it comes time to actually collaborate with other musicians or a conductor or or a pianist or whoever I'm collaborating with, I like to leave all of the technique behind me and just go on my instinct and, mm. and the work that's already been done and only focus on the expression and the text. So... There's definitely a rush and an emotional fulfillment that comes with the singing. Yeah. Well, the other thing you said, Zach, was story and acting through the notes. And I want to save that for a little bit later because that's a whole other aspect of the the voice. But Merwin, let's go to your three words. You did mention that vulnerability was one of them. You also said vitality and variety. So there's kind of a V theme going on here with the (laughs) voice, right? Was that on purpose? Well, actually, I I had a lot of trouble deciding how I was going to approach this because there was another set of three words that I really liked, but I would have been stealing them. Uh Um, I used to sit in a lot of voice lessons, and Costanza Kukuro used these 
terms to describe a voice, bone, meat, and sauce. Like, and I just <laughs> loved that idea of just having like this, this core sound that defines the projection and then yeah. everything around that. Does that translate to playing the violin? I use it. Yeah. I will use that occasionally. Yes. Uh, mostly because it's so easy, especially when you're going for a really, really soft sound to abandon the projection to mm -hmm. abandon the mm -hmm. bone and you always need to have bone in the sound and that was one of the things that um, this teacher would always say but i think for me vulnerability is really really important um, but define the vulnerability a little bit more because do you want it to do you want to bring the audience in to make them feel vulnerable as well or do you want the audience to feel like they have to they want to be the protector, the rescuer. How, how are they engaging with you? I don't think of it in those terms. I okay. don't think of it in terms of how the audience is engaged. In a way, I almost want to feel like the singer has lost themselves in the character, okay. perhaps to the extent that they're willing to push their voice to extremes. So you're talking about the singer exposing themselves, exactly. exposing yeah. what's inside. Yeah, yeah that, that's really hard for some people to do. And mm -hmm. I've always felt that Singing or performing, any kind of performing on the stage, organic uh, acoustic performance really shows you who that person is. Yeah. And if they're unable to share in that way, well, then there's probably a reason for that. Well, one of the greatest voices, but ultimately not one of my favorite voices, just because in a way she was almost invulnerable was Joan Sutherland. And a voice whose instrument, just amazing, amazing quality, but... There wasn't a vulnerability mm -hmm. there. So ultimately, she's not my favorite soprano. I, th yeah. I think the favorite's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say Joan Sutherland because when I was first getting into classical music and singing, I, yeah, I was probably 13 or 14 years old, I immediately loved Joan Sutherland. And I can definitely say that when I was working on technique and getting to know my own voice, the singers that I used to enjoy listening to were those who were pretty close to technically flawless in their own instruments. Mm -hmm. But I never listened to them for enjoyment or to be touched or to experience any kind of emotion. It was more like watching the Olympics. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that was impressive. And you can still marvel at it. But to listen for pleasure or to escape or to experience something cathartic yeah. Those are rarely the same singers. Maybe Absolutely. Caballé, yeah. as far yeah. as that goes. You know, yeah. she had the flawless technique, and still she moves me every time I hear her. Yeah. Um, my three words are uh, integrity. I, I want whatever anybody does to, to have a sense of integrity. I mean, it, it's honest, um, to sound organic, which in a way is related to this vulnerability concept that you're talking about. I want it to be coming from the inside out. And to be unique. It used to be that you could play drop the needle. Of course, that is an archaic term nowadays. <laughs> but you could you could drop the needle on an LP and it would be an, a singer and you could almost immediately identify who it was because mm -hmm. of their voice. Mm -hmm. Even somebody like Maria Callas, who didn't necessarily have the greatest, most expressive or most um, versatile accomplished instrument out there. She was somebody that you recognized immediately. And going back to Zach's idea of telling a story, mm -hmm. those are the kinds of voices that I think can tell a story. The voices that have that kind of unique uh, characterization, the same way that your favorite character actor, you know it's them, you recognize them, but they're so good at inhabiting a, a different space. 
right? So that uniqueness, I think, is um, an important quality. And then if I had a fourth word, I would say just sing in tune because that drives me crazy. <laughs> that's the accuracy point coming back. That is the, that's where the bar starts, the yeah. accuracy, the intonation. Well, it should be, you know, that should be where everything's, that should be at the starting line. But very often, for one reason or the other, it's not that important these days. And, and I read, you know, some critics writing about certain singers that I was at the same performance, and I'm thinking, what, what's going on with their right. ears? Because right. they were, una- it's mm-hmm. either they uh, didn't hear it, that it was out of tune, or they just didn't care. And, and in some cases, you know, they don't care. And, and the audience doesn't necessarily always care either, because... They are there to have an experience, and you don't really necessarily have to, you know, be perfect to to elicit that experience. It's funny that you mentioned Maria Callas, because I always felt like she was so good and her recordings were so exceptional, because she was part of this dynamic duo with Giuseppe Di Stefano. And right. yeah. uh, their voices worked very well together. I don't think either of them was as good individually as they were together. Mm. And then you think of other folks like uh, you know Pavarotti who came after, who probably had more technical clarity and ringing qualities, uh, but he didn't have the you know his his version of Bohem, for example, with Renata Tibaldi is a phenomenal recording. But I'll go back to Maria Callas and Giuseppe Di Stefano because at the yeah. end their voices are are more complementary, and uh, you know even at the high notes he'll waver a little bit, but it just feels so right. Yeah. Um. I have the recordings of the different singers that you chose. So we'll go through. We're not going to listen to the, them all the way through, but we'll listen to little bits and pieces. So this will be a, a little uh, playing of Drop the Needle. If you hear your <laughs> own sound clip, then you, you know it's you, right? Don't say anything. Let's see if the other persons can figure out uh, who they are, right? So yep. we're going to start with me, actually, because we're going to go in reverse order now of how we, how we went. So here's my example of a great singer. I'm going to fast forward. could hear there was a whole lot more voice there than what he was using for most of that aria. That, that's uh, an aria from Peter Grimes yeah. by Benjamin Britten. And we heard John Vickers oh. performing, somebody who had this tremendous, huge voice, but rarely let it out of the gate <laughs> because his voice always served the drama, right? So a beautiful, resonant cream <laughs> to it that was. voice. But still the expressivity. And, and at the very end, when he keeps repeating the words who, who, each time it was different and each time it was like pushing the dagger further in your heart, you know. Worth noting that Benjamin Britten hated uh, his portrayal. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it may be related to the fact that he wrote it for his partner, Peter Pears, and they were completely, you know, diametrically mm-hmm. opposed 
uh, artists. They both brought their own unique quality to that role. So that's mine. Okay. Uh, any comments on that? Do you get where I was going with with mm-hmm. with that voice? Yeah. I got chills listening to that. That yeah. was gorgeous. It's pretty amazing. I think you nailed what Felicia likes right on the head with that last oh, phrase. You, you pointed to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a half messy di voce broken up by many who's. Yeah. Yeah. Horton, here's a who. We all heard a who. We heard several who's. <laughs> Yay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on now. Uh, up next is Merwin. Here we go. This is not Merwin singing, but this is his choice. <laughs> Which part is it that gets you, Merwin? Should I fast forward a little bit? How can we fast forward this? (laughs) It's only three minutes. (laughs) His diction is very good. Just we we can see the frequencies of what's <laughs> being sung on yeah. your computer monitor, yeah. and it is just this perfect shimmer. Yeah, it's just this perfect shim- shimmer. Well, you have to think that when Puccini wrote the opera Tosca, that he had a voice like this, like in mind, you know, like the ideal amazing voice that could do all those uh, diminuendos on the high note. That was Giuseppe Di Stefano. Which was also a favorite of Zach's, by the way. Why did you Good choose? Uh, why did you choose him? I actually was very close to sending out the final scene from La Boheme mm-hmm. um, because that hurts me even more than this does. Mm. Um, but when he says Mimi, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it just it really really hurts. Me but too. I think there's really, in terms of what was going to be on the radio, this it encapsulates all of the things. I, f- I feel like when he goes parlando, he, he sounds like he's talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that so few singers sound like they're talking and yet still have gorgeous production on each syllable. And yet, about a minute in, he starts singing. Before that, he was talking and it sounded yeah. gorgeous, but then he started singing. I love that variety and the vulnerability. It's like, I, I love how closely the orchestra followed allowing him to be so vulnerable yeah Yeah. uh well we've had two tenors so far (laughs) score for the tenors uh let's move on to zach and zach gave me a whole bunch of different things to choose from and and this is the one that i thought would be we did get one choice right we were allowed i sent him seven oh (laughs) but it will do 
Almost a tenor. Just watch the smoke rings rise in the air. Pied Pipers. Find your share of memories there. Well, he's no Audrey McDonald, but. He'll do. Old Blue Eyes, <laughs> Frank Sinatra. When you offered up Frank Sinatra and you said that, uh, you know, this is something you sing to your young daughter, yeah. I, I couldn't resist. I had to bring that in. Uh, she calls it uh, uh, When I'm Feeling Blue Song is what she calls it. Oh, yeah. Cheer her up, right? Yeah. Uh, but this is my favorite lullaby to sing my daughter, Grace. And that was, of course, Sinatra singing Johnny Mercer's Dream. I know yeah. it uh, more famously. That was a big band arrangement. Um, he uh, redid it on the Nice and Easy album. It's the last song oh, on okay. that album. Uh, I am a lifelong Sinatra freak. Um, love every note that he sang. So I couldn't. Yeah. I think I gave you seven opera singers and one Sinatra. <laughs> that's right. We had to break it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something about that song that's just so beautiful, and the way he sings it is just so special. The um, the the other recording he takes a little bit slower and it has more of a lullaby uh sensitivity to it so i really do love listening to sinatra sing that song yeah okay felicia you're up oh, i'm let's see so if, nervous right let's see, you said the beginning of the song was your favorite let's see do you if remember people what can, you picked is that right Wait a minute. What did you choose? Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me. All right. Moving on. Cut that one out. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Wait, is that not It's All Coming Back to Me? Isn't that the one that you said? Yeah, but that's not the voice. That's not the right uh, version. That's not the right version? But if it said Celine Dion. Oh, it did. It was labeled. If it's written that way, it has to be true. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was on the internet. <laughs> it has to be true. <laughs> okay. Actually, well, let's all imagine Celine Dion singing in our heads. Like, I thought that was a really interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you like about Celine. Well, I think with, with every song that or singer that I like, it all kind of stems back to a memory with family. And I remember when I was younger, I my mom would get up really early for work and I would like crawl into bed with her every single day before her alarm uh, went off. And her alarm was always the radio. I don't know how anyone gets up to just the radio to start start playing, but it was 90% of the time Celine Dion in the morning. <laughs> and I just grew to love it. And um, uh, when you hear her voice, it's she can, she does have that versatility and she can do the softest whispers and the loudest louds. And I think she has great control. Now I have not heard her live, (laughs) so I can't really (laughs) say anything about that, but um, there's something about her, her ballads that I've always loved. Well, I know Merwin likes her because she's Canadian, right? (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I, I, but actually, 
<laughs> the one, the one, the two she French is from another Canadian. <laughs> but I do think that one of the things that she does have that it's actually maybe something that maybe makes her the people who don't like her actually don't appreciate this is she always has this firm core in her sound. Like yeah. it's there's always You're very this, like, distinctive. Yeah, there's this always this like almost like an like a metal in the middle of her sound. Is that what you mean by bone when you that say That is what name? I mean by bone. Yeah. And that's something that for me I need in a voice. So it's she has one of those core. recognizable voices. But see, I was just testing when I played the the wrong oh. recording to make sure that, you know, that still held valid, right? Right? <laughs> No, nice cover. Nice cover. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, we don't have a lot of time left, but we do have time to listen to uh, Jenny's here. Okay. We have time to listen to uh, Jenny's selection. Okay. Let's see if you all recognize who this is. Hopefully, I got the right recording for this one. You know, I can sing like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Chris Wells. Jenny, <laughs> tell us who that is. That is Edith Piaf. And it's interesting because I sent you a list as well, although you did request that I not send you a classical singer, which I thought was right. interesting. Well, because you are a classical singer. I thought it'd be fun. Totally fun. Who would have been your classical singer of choice? Well, the one, <laughs> the one classical piece that I did send him was not opera, but it was Eileen Farrell singing mm. Poulenc's Fleur, mm. the last Very of the cool. fiancée pour rire. But in this case, I went with another French singer. So what I love about Piaf is that her voice is not by itself beautiful, but the songs that she sings are very complex emotionally. And she can be singing beautiful, beautiful love songs like this hymn L'Amour, talking about, I would do anything if you asked me to. I would, I would um, go against my country. I would, you know, dye my hair blonde. I would lose all of my friends. But then at the end of the song, it talks about one day you will be taken from me. But that's okay, because God will reunite all of the lovers in heaven. Yeah. And she wrote this song, the, the lyrics herself, as a tribute to... Um, the great love affair of her life, which was Marcel Sardin, who, the famous boxer, uh, who was married with four children. But nevertheless, they carried on this great affair, and she never really forgave herself for the fact that she um, wrote to him from New York and said, I need to see you immediately. Don't take the boat. Take a plane. And that night he got on a plane and died in the crash, mm-hmm. and nobody survived. Uh, and this song was kind of born of that. So the idea that she can take her voice, which is instantly recognizable, and I think you said um, before that you were looking for a recording and also heard it in English. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was certainly not her native language, and yet it was exactly the same inflection-wise. Absolutely the same. Yeah, yeah. so she is a non-classical voice who maybe did not have the best vocal technique at all times, and yet as an artist, she was extremely consistent. Yeah. One of the things that I love about her voice when she's singing a song that has this kind of a, such a deep uh, biographical quality to it, she has that quality in her voice of thumbing her nose. Well, you know, she's an artist who, although did not play characters in the sense of an operatic or musical theater stage, ripped her heart open and showed it to everyone and Mm -hmm. said, go ahead and stare. Yeah. And and I love that about her. Yeah. 
Well, we had an interesting discussion uh, today. We didn't really solve anything, but we managed to bring out <laughs> a lot of different ideas about what we can glean from singers and, and the way that they perform and the different qualities that we're attracted to. So all of this inspired, of course, by Audrey McDonald. She's going to be here this weekend at the Paris Style. You can learn more at ToledoSymphony.com or call up the box office number. That number is 419-246-8000. Saturday, November 4th, one night only, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Paris Style. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org. My thanks to everyone here. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.